Welcome to another episode of Beyond the Crops. Today is a special episode. It's an interview, and um, I'm excited to welcome on our guest. So today we have a longtime person I've known for a very long time. They are a cheese connoisseur and the 34-year undefeated Town of Lincoln chairman because nobody else wanted the job. Welcome to the podcast, Dad. (laughs) Thanks. Uh, Well, happy to be here. Uh, You're taking uh, a big risk giving Dad a microphone. You should know better, but we'll see how this goes. (laughs) Oh, goodness. (laughs) Yeah, we should talk about your wedding speech where you roasted both of us. Well, you know, I mean, it, uh, there's a lot of material, let's put it that way, Yeah, for both of you. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, I have some just questions that I thought I would interview you on, but we're up visiting for Christmas, and yeah, um, we're recording this pretty early in the morning because my dad wakes up early. Yeah, I'm kind of a, uh, you know, retired dairy farmer, so my, my biological clock is set to get up at 4.30 regardless of whether I have anything to do or not. So here <laughs> here I am. Uh, and it's really too bad Jenna can't be here because we she could ask me Mary Pat questions and I've got like a whole series we could do oh, on, on Mary Pat, uh, you well, know, life and times of Mary Pat. But. Well, good thing this is about you. <laughs> this okay. interview is all about right. you. You need to spill the tea on Jack, <laughs> all things. Well, first of all, your name isn't even Jack. Which Correct. is kind of confusing. Well, so so my name is really John, but I'm the third generation where the third son was named John, and they had to have some differentiation. So that's why uh, I've been Jack as long as I uh, know. I have a little identity crisis sometimes, but uh, I legally I have to sign John, but everybody knows me as Jack. Do people get confused when you're like when you sign something, John? Are they like, what is that? Um, uh, when we got married, uh, the uh, pastor asked Mary if she took John to be her lawfully wedded husband, and she's like, "Who's that? <laughs> Are you kidding? Yeah. Oh my. <laughs> well, I mean, she didn't say that, but it took her took her a second to figure out what the guy was talking about. Oh, that's really funny. <laughs> so let's go back in history a little bit. Tell me what it was like. Growing up, on a, it was a dairy farm when you were born, right? Right, yeah. My uh, uh, family bought this farm in uh, 1904, and uh, I think they started milking cows probably in the early teens. I think before that, they were grain, uh, wheat, and uh, probably wheat here. Um, and, of course, it's too hilly to be, uh, you know, into row crops or crops that you have to work the soil every year. So, we... Uh, they got into to dairy. My grandfather went to uh, short course at the University of Wisconsin Madison, and and he was a pretty progressive dairy farmer back in the day. He was first uh, first one to do uh, AI, kind of helped set up the local AI uh, artificial insemination co op in the area. So uh, he was he was ahead of his time in the dairy industry. And they had did they have Guernseys when you were growing up? Right. So they had had apparently a mixed herd in the early uh, 1900s and I had brucellosis and I believe they uh, depopulated down to like one cow that didn't have it in 1919. He went back, it went into registered Guernsey cattle at that time. And um, that's what we had up until uh, the eighties when I started transitioning from the Guernsey breed to Holsteins uh, just because it was uh, more economical for us. Okay. So what, tell me, like, what did you do as a kid on the farm? Um, generally, I guess I was the calf feeder until I got a little older. The calves were my uh, responsibility. Uh, I can remember, you know, so so there was quite a bit of transition, I would say, from when I first uh, 
uh, was aware of what was going on in the farm. I remember horses. They'd had tractors for 10 years before I was born, but I, I remember them having horses, but never worked with horses. Loose hay, uh, uh, thrashing with a thrashing machine. I was never old enough to shock grain, but I carried the water bottle between the shocks for my dad um, <laughs> <laughs> and drove the tractor picking up bundles. I was probably three or four doing that. Are you kidding me? Uh, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, so we went from loose hay to baled hay to uh, chopping to silos to bunker silos, uh, you know, quite a transition over, or, over that period of time. So, Jeez. <laughs> okay so you were the calf kid yep so was i that's yeah. kind of fun um what tell me about shocking like what does that mean well so they they would cut the oats uh in bundles with a, a binder and they would dump them into it had a, a thing that would accumulate so many uh bundles on and drop drop them and then they go and set them up and i don't really i, I wouldn't want to tell you exactly how they did it but they they'd uh make kind of a pyramid and put a cap over the top, you know, spread one bundle over the top, allow it to dry a little bit in the field and they go pick it up, pitch it into a thrashing machine. So there was several steps, a lot of, a lot of hand labor uh, into it. How long did that take? Oh gosh. They would start uh, the binding, the binder process in the uh, probably in July when the grain was ready. And then there was usually a thrashing machine that came around with uh, a crew, everybody, you know, maybe one thrashing machine in the valley and all the farms would do it. So it was kind of whenever your turn was, yeah. and there might be 20 people and a bunch of tractors and wagons. And and then uh, the, the wives would make a, a big meal at noon and they'd have bring coffee to the field and, and um, you know, twice a day and, and uh, then everybody would go home to milk their cows in the evening. So it was quite a community deal. That would be so cool to see. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it was a lot of work, too. So yeah. uh, now now they come in with a uh, combine and zip through everything in a day. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's a lot more efficient labor-wise. Well, the chopping crew was always fun when they came in. I mean, it was still yeah. like a day or two of them being here when I was little, but it was a big group of people yeah and when, normally the farm was pretty quiet until they showed up yeah so when, when i was a kid you know we bailed hay or made hay in one way shape or form all summer and uh you know in the later years we hired it done and uh, they'd come in one day and cut come in the next morning and merge and and uh, about four hours they'd have the whole farm chopped and and put in the bunker silo and packed and all we had to do was cover it um and everybody saw, oh man, that that equipment uses a lot of fuel. And in reality, it took less total fuel uh, to do it that way than it did to to be doing it in spurts all summer long. Yeah, um, and it got a lot better quality feed. Yeah, so. for sure. Okay, so talk about grandma and grandpa because they you were, grew up with them. Obviously, they farmed. You took over the farm from them. But what were, what are some of your fondest memories of your parents, and what did you learn from them? Um, I'd say my, my mom was, uh, uh, is, I shouldn't say, shouldn't uh, talk about her in the past tense. She's still with us. Um, she was the best cook you'd ever want to, um, know. And she was always took care of that end of it. Uh, probably the strongest as far as, uh, our faith made sure that we, uh, not that my dad wasn't, he was very, very, uh, strong in his faith as well. But, but my mom was, uh, is the person who kind of held that glue together. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad always had a great sense of humor. Um, um, you know, taught us 
the value of hard work, I guess, is the or or being responsible. Was I'd say what you know what did we learn? I learned from him. I can remember. Uh, I was probably about four and uh, made a commitment to do. Uh, model something in a fashion show, which <laughs> wasn't, wasn't my thing, you know, <laughs> and, and they were doing something fun on the farm. And I was like, I am not going to go and do that. And I left the house in a huff after lunch. And uh, my dad caught me out by the windmill and I got the only spanking I got from my dad. And he said, you will take care of whatever, whatever you promise to do, you will do it. And, uh, that was the end of that. <laughs> okay, wait. That was the only spanking? Only, only spanking I ever got from my dad. Yeah. My mom used to spank us and we'd laugh, you know. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and, and then she would laugh because we were laughing. It was kind of like kind of like when uh, your mother would give uh, wash your brother's mouth out with soap for saying a bad word. And he'd say, oh, that was good. Can I have some more? You know, yeah, we were, yeah it was kind of a, a little power play there. One time, mom brought me in the bathroom to wash my mouth out or whatever. And then she did, she couldn't do it. I don't know what I was doing to her, but she couldn't do it. And she looked at me and she goes, make it look good. And she put water on my head and flushed the toilet twice. <laughs> and I came out like, oh, oh, like she just put water on my head from the sink, but she was pretending that she gave me like a, give you a swirl. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's, there's where we went wrong. She should have actually done the swirly. <laughs> Okay. Um, what tractor did you learn to drive on? Uh, so we had a WD Alice Chalmers. That was the easiest one for me to drive because it had a hand clutch and I was too short to reach both the, the clutch and the brakes at the same time. So I could slide over to the right side, use the hand clutch and, and put both feet on the brakes because it didn't have a way to lock the brakes together. And my feet were so small, it'd slide between the two brakes and, uh, and, um, then they would, they neither would work. So oh. <laughs> that, that was my first one. And we had the, actually the first farm tractor on the farm was a farm all M that my father and grandfather bought in 1946. It was a 45 model that, uh, it was the first tractor that came to the farm after world war two and or came to Whitehall after for world war two. And they bought the first tractor that came to town. That's so cool. And we still have it. It's kind of an heirloom. Do you use it? Yeah. Uh, not a lot. But uh, sometimes it's handy to to move stuff around the yard, and and uh, we'll rake hay with it once in a while if we uh, run out of tractors to use. Where is it? I want to see. It's it. in the shed. Okay. Yeah. So let's go into college because you like we all kind of have a history at the same college, which is weird. But <laughs> talk about your college career. Okay, so I started college in 1974 as a freshman at UW River Falls um, in agriculture. Um, farm management was my major, which is kind of ag econ marketing, um, ag business kind of all rolled into a, a more practical part of it, I suppose, than ag econ, uh, straight up ag econ. And then I had a, a double minors in uh, animal and plant science. Um, Graduated uh, in four years, but I in that time I had a six month internship um, with Farmers Home Administration doing emergency loans down in Monroe County, where they had uh, it had back to back droughts, and so they needed uh, emergency loan um, uh, 
work down there. And I was able to get that. It was a good experience, really good experience to learn about budgeting, helping people to budget and, and uh, put together business plans, that sort of thing. Also learned that I didn't want to work in an office the rest of my life. <laughs> it, was, it was great in the spring when it was all muddy and, and cruddy out, but man, in the summer when it was beautiful out, it was hard for me to, to uh, spend all day in an office. So decided that that wasn't for me, that I would want to do something more uh, hands-on with uh, my career. And then I graduated from college and I had offers from uh, uh, several lending institutions and, and also uh, with Land Lakes as a uh, uh, management trainee. They put me in Amory to train um, to be a co-op manager. And I was there for about six weeks and there was a, an upheaval. The general manager left and the mill manager moved into general management and they hired me as the uh, mill manager. So I was 21 years old. I had 10 employees and a multi-million dollar department in charge of grain and feed and um, <laughs> back in the, back in the, yeah, so baptism by fire. Uh, oh my goodness. Back in those days, it was uh, a lot of, in that area, it was a lot of ear corn. We had uh, shovel bear trucks. We'd pick up corn and and grind feed. We probably have 19 batches of feed a day. So, so worked, um, you know, started at seven in the morning. Lots of times didn't get done until seven o'clock at night. I uh, met a lot of really great people and learned a lot up there as well. It was uh, in, in the grain business. I was the grain buyer, grain merchandiser, did all the grain accounting. Um, so yeah, it was a, it was an uh, intense, interesting uh, job, learned a lot. Uh, then, in, um, wait, uh, Okay. Let me make you pause. <laughs> so, okay. That like is just crazy. I guess I didn't realize all of the parts of your story because I've heard you talk about it before, but didn't know that you worked at a bank for six months. <laughs> um, so how did the employees take it? You being this new young buck being their boss. Um, but for the most part, I, I think I had respect. I, 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 I'd go out on the shovel bear with the guys when they needed to. If there was somebody that had uh, a really tough place to go and it was hard to get in and out of, or they had a mean dog, I would go along and and uh, kind of help to mitigate the situation. I I did whatever anybody else would do, uh, and I think that uh, earned a lot of respect. Okay, was it was it your college education that got you the job? Uh, yeah, I think everything. You know, I had had a lot of work experience in college. I worked. Um, well, I had the, the internship, the six month internship, which wasn't actually set. It wasn't like they come to campus with an internship. I actually got this job and, and uh, made it an internship, got the credits for it. So that, that helped a lot. That experience, uh, I had worked as, uh, for a, an airline pilot that had, um, a grain farm. So I had run, 1500 acres of grain and uh, corn and beans and some beef cattle for that with this guy. I, I, I knew the, his farm manager was a friend of mine, um, worked for him for three years, worked for another farmer putting in uh, crops in the spring. So um, yeah, I had a lot of work experience and I think that weighed pretty heavily uh, with the, the person from Land Lakes that hired me. You, you know, they, it was interesting. The, all of the interviews I had, they'd say, well, did, how'd you do academically? And I said, well, I was on the Dean's list most of the time. And if I wasn't drinking too much beer or whatever, but, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um, you know, then they'd say, oh, tell us about your work experience. So that, that weighed pretty heavily at the time, I think on uh, how, how uh, I was hireable. I think it still does. Yeah, I think that, that experience is is worth a lot. You still have to have the, that basic uh, knowledge, but the experience is a, is a big deal. Mm -hmm. 
I almost think it's going even further away from what degree do you have to what's your work ethic and what do you, yeah. what's your experience? Yeah, I would agree. Anyway, sorry, that was off track. Okay. So you got this job at a feed mill. You're 21. Um, how long did you work at the feed mill? Uh, three years. Okay. Yep. And in between there, something very important happened. <laughs> okay. So, so the, uh, uh, the memories, it was a regional band, uh, a really good band at the time was playing up at the, uh, country dam. They'd play Friday, Saturday and Sunday nights. Uh, we'd go up there usually on a Friday night and, you know, there would be packed with people. And for some reason, I just decided to go up on Sunday night, kind of uh, maybe two of us or maybe I might have even by my, been by myself or whatever, because I like to listen to them. And um, there was the the co-op uh, president and his wife and some other people. And then they had this young lady with them. And um, they invited me over to their table and they introduced me to uh, Mary and um i'd known mary from college but she was older than me and kind of you know she was was going with the basketball players was and all she that. a horse girl uh she'd had a horse up there and, <laughs> but she she was dating someone from the basketball team and i was just a low, lowly farm kid you know so i never asked her out or anything but i knew who she was <laughs> and uh, and uh, so we they introduced me to her and and uh, the next week the co-op president's wife called me and said uh so um here's the deal i talked to keith and you're not getting your paycheck unless you ask mary on a date oh my goodness i hadn't told her that i had already called mary and set up a date but we let let rana think that she had was the matchmaker there anyway and I, you know, so the story goes, as the story goes, I, I uh, didn't want to, uh, I had bought a new pickup truck and I had payments on it and I could have lived on the street. I really could have lived on the street, but I didn't want to lose the truck, you know, cause it was kind of nice. So, <laughs> so <laughs> I, I took the date. That was, that's our story. Uh, oh my goodness. <laughs> that's terrible. <laughs> anyway. Uh, <laughs> yep. And then, uh, um, Mary had a, a lake home, um, and uh, she had just bought it recently, and she didn't have her dock in yet. And so, Fourth of July weekend, I helped her put her dock in, and I got poison ivy digging the stairway down into the from the from the road down to the uh, lake. And uh, it went systemic. Uh, poison ivy was crawling from my ankles up to my knees, and from my wrists up to my elbows, and and it was just miserable. It's hotter and blazes, and. Um, so I was delirious, pretty much delirious, and I was was laying on the living room floor, covered in calamine lotion, and and I proposed to Mary, and she said, "Well, I mean, Grant, a man is dying wish; he's going to die anyway, so <laughs> I might as well say yes." And <laughs> lo and behold, I recovered, and um, I'm too lazy to fight. So, 43 years later, here we are. Oh my goodness, <laughs> Dad, you're terrible. <laughs> I remember part of the story that I feel like you just glazed over your first date. You were like an hour late to it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Oh, here's a couple of good things. Yes. So I was, we, it was a Friday night and, uh, the feed mill was really, really busy and we had some breakdowns and stuff. And so I was an hour late to the first date. She was kind of giving up on me. She's like, oh, this guy's a flake, you know, anyway. So, but I got there and everything turned out. Okay. And then, um, the other part of the other story, which is kind of funny, is we went to get our, our marriage license at DePaul County, uh, wherever you go, uh, <laughs> the <courthouse>? <laughs> in the courthouse in Polk <laughs> County. Got there, and I was out of check blanks, so <laughs> so mom had to pay for the uh, the marriage license. So, yeah, I love that. <laughs> 
Oh, well. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay, so you guys were married. Did you live in Amory or did you? I lived in Amory in an apartment uh, at a, a, a resort. A guy that owned a resort had a huge house with two apartments upstairs. I lived upstairs uh, part of the time with my brother and part of the time with a college friend of mine who actually married uh, mom's sister, Sally. So Tom and I lived together for. Uh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yep. He was the uh, Polk County Ag agent and I was the local feed mill and feed and grain mill uh, manager. Oh, that's so awesome. Yep. Yep. So, um, yeah. So then, and mom had uh, bought a house on a lake up and, uh, and she taught at uh, Unity Schools, Balsam Lake, Milltown and Centuria, taught fifth grade up there. And um, after we were married, then of course we, I moved in up on the lake with uh, mom Tough life, I'll tell you. Was it beautiful? Oh, yes, it was. Oh, I've never seen that house. You guys have never shown me. I think we've driven past it, but you probably don't remember. You were probably pretty little. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but beautiful and, you know, loved it, except on the holiday weekends. Then we'd come back to the farm because it was so crowded and so much traffic. You'd come here? To- yeah. Okay. Yeah. And 4th of July weekend, you didn't want to be there because it was too busy. Okay. But otherwise... We had a canoe and, and uh, the loons, I loved it in the fall because it was so pretty. The colors were so pretty and the, and the loons and stuff. Uh, it was very peaceful out there. Mm-hmm. Okay. So how long did you live in Amory before you guys came back? Uh, well, I was up there three years. So we came off. Uh, yeah, we came. Uh, so I, I started there in um, 78 and. Uh, married uh, we, in 80. Married in 80. We came back to the farm in 81. My, my folks needed uh, someone to come in and help my dad was getting to the point where he couldn't handle it himself and uh uh, so we came back to the farm in in the spring of 81 okay so talk about that i guess coming back to the farm and kind of what happened when you came back well you know there was uh I, i suppose we were milking uh 70 cows um and Production wasn't uh, wasn't great. Crop production wasn't great. There was a lot of changes that needed to be made. I don't want to really get into some of that uh, yeah. uh, stuff. There maybe some family dynamics that I don't re- really need to get into, but um, there needed to be some changes made. Yeah. And um, uh, so, but my folks were fairly open to whatever needed to be done, and I felt I think having had the work experience and, you know, worked with other farmers, done other things. I, I had the confidence to be able to make the changes or to push for the changes that needed to be made. And, um, so they were willing to allow us to uh, go ahead and do some of that, those things. And I'd say from, you know, when, when I came back to the farm until, uh, 40 years, when we sold the cows, we went from, um, you know, we probably doubled the cow numbers, tripled crop production on the farm, and uh, and tripled milk production per cow. So six times the milk production on the same farm that when I started forty years prior. Wow. Um, and you know, with less uh, energy uh, consumption, less less fuel consumption, less labor uh, needs, and um, you know, just better herd health. Uh, you know the. the and I'm not bragging about myself. It's just the way the industry went over that period of time. We we did, uh, you know, technology, milking equipment, technology, uh, feeding uh, 
technology. You know, we we actually were feeding a higher con- or higher forage diet, which the cows are healthier, they last longer, they uh, they were able to reach their potential with a lot less, uh, uh, you know, physically better for them. Okay. And uh, so just you know, the industry changed that much in forty years. It was uh, it was. And our goal was 30,000 pounds of milk and uh, 1,200 pounds of fat, 900 pounds of protein. And, uh, you know, with milking technology that we were milking equipment technology, we had uh, very high, uh, very, you know, low somatic cell, very low uh, bacteria counts. We were always in the top two or three in the county for quality. And um, it's, uh, you know, it it's just testament to what the industry has done over that period of time that you could get that kind of production and keep your cows healthy keep the quality there less antibiotics just uh less drugs i mean i think the industry gets a bad rep for all you know the bigger farms and the uh that it's hard on the animals and that's just not true i think the animals are uh are way better cared for today than they were 40 years ago so right you know a lot more about how yeah. To care for them and, yeah. and have professionals that walk alongside with you. Absolutely. Your nutritionist is a, a big deal to, to you know, best utilize the forages you grow on your farm and, and bring in the stuff that you need to, to augment that. Uh, your veterinarian, uh, it's it's more production medicine now than than coming in and solving a problem. It's, it's keeping you from having a problem. It's how do we how do we. Uh, uh, keep this herd healthy and and functioning at the highest level possible. Um, so, those consultants are are very important, and, and the same with agronomists. You know, uh, bringing in the right uh, seed technology and the right uh, fertilizer. We actually use less pounds of fertilizer per uh, bushel of of grain than we ever did back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think we're uh, nutrient management planning. For example, I remember I was on the. Uh, our county had a, a pretty big role in the nutrient management planning. I remember going having a, a group of probably 20 of us working on it, going around explaining it all and how it's all going to work. And and uh, I think I was the last one to speak before lunch, and everybody had been kind of complaining about it. it was kind of a pain in the rear and everything. And I said, well, I don't know. You know, it's um, I saved $18,000 last year on, on inputs because I was able to uh, – you know, credit myself for what I was putting out there. And uh, you could see the lights turning on with people. And I think what we, what we learned from that was instead of having someone else come in and do your nutrient management plan, we each, we started training people to do nutrient management planning and uh, they could do it themselves. And um, I think that helped people to, to get ownership of that process and, and be, uh, uh, you know, more, more believing in the, in how it works. And I think that's, that really helped to, to reduce the amount of uh, commercial fertilizers going out. That's really cool. I mean, you're pretty, uh, what is the word? You had a lot to do with the success of the farm and focusing on genetics and continuing what your grandfather did, I guess. Do you want to talk about kind of the genetic journey of the farm since you came back? Um, you know, I, I would have to say we always uh, used artificial insemination on the cows. We did have a, 
a bull from time to time on the heifers just because of where they were at. It was hard to catch heats, that sort of thing. We always believed in using the top 10% of the genetics in, the, in whatever breed we were working with to try to, to I mean, because you're replacing um, basically half the genetics of your herd every time you bring a new uh, group of heifer calves in, you know. Um, so it just makes sense to, to uh, use the best genetics that you can get. Uh, I'll, I'll be honest, I wasn't the greatest, you know, there's people that could pour through the bull books and the, the genetic um, information and, and just do that. And they'd spend hours doing that. I didn't have the bandwidth for it. There was too much other stuff going on. So we would uh, have a, a mating person come in, somebody that uh, that was their forte. And uh, they're again, consultant. Mm-hmm. They come in, uh, look at the cows, look at their their genetics, and uh, also to look at their type and pick a bull in that top 10% of the breed that would augment her needs genetically. And I think that made a, a huge difference for us. I, I And there's people that could do that themselves, but that just wasn't my forte. Well, maybe that's why it was successful for you because you allowed somebody to help you with it. Exactly. You have to know your own strengths and dis- and determine uh, what you what you're best at and what uh, you're better to have someone else help you with and and trust them. I mean, it was definitely like the the genetic conversation and you talking about the importance of it was something that really resonated with me as a kid because I went to school like that's what I thought I was going to do was yeah. graduate as a dairy geneticist and learned very quickly that that wasn't what I wanted to do. <laughs> but because kids came to school and we're talking about all these different things. And I was like, this does not sound like a conversation that I want to be. Uh, I no. think, I think a lot of uh, some, some people, it was all about uh, showing and, yeah. and all that sort of thing. And for me, it was more, uh, you know, we did have the registered Guernseys and, uh, but to get into the registered business in a, in a big way, especially in the Holstein breed, that's a, a very narrow group of people that, uh, you know, it's kind of the elite of the elite of it. Um, the rest of us had to make money mil- uh, selling milk and yeah. and having uh, having cattle that could last and, and uh, you, you know, kind of work, working cattle that, that uh, would still have that production. And so that was kind of the, the focus that I had. It's I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to, break the mortgage or burn the mortgage with production, not with uh, genetic sales. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, one more change I want to talk about is when you came back to the farm, we were milking in stanchions. Right. And yep. then yep. you changed that. Yeah, we we had uh, uh, a 50-cow barn basically and freestall or well, the bedded pack at the first uh, outside and we'd switch cows through the barn. We did that for about 15 years, uh, put freestalls in the bedded pack just so we uh, it was easier to keep the cows clean and and uh, get more in more cattle in uh, cleaner cleaner and more cattle per square foot, um, and that that worked. But it was labor intense, and uh, you know in order to get up to that, we, so we went from uh, seventy cows to one hundred and fifty. In order to get to that one hundred and fifty, we um, put in a milking parlor and uh, put in more freestalls and. We, that way we were able to a lot less labor, uh, a lot more labor efficient to, to milk the same number to double the cows and less, less labor. That was very helpful. Uh, and then of course, if you look at the milking, uh, I kind of alluded to it earlier that milking, uh, equipment, 
uh, technology changed so much, and that has has a lot to do with the quality of the milk and the the health of the utter health that sort of thing. Uh, you know, as we we probably had four different generations of milking equipment over the forty years, and it uh, every time you put in the new technology, you saw uh, a difference in in utter health and uh, milk quality, and just overall cow health. Um, you know, it was, it, towards the end, it was interesting. They'd come in and hook a computer up, and they could actually tune your your pulsation to your claws and to your uh, shells and your liners and everything and get everything tuned in just right. And it was amazing how much faster the cows would milk and how much more comfortable they are and, and all that. It, it's uh, just amazing what the technology did uh, in milking equipment over the years. Yeah, and, I mean, we didn't get into it, but robots. Even. Yeah, yeah, that's, that, of course, was – if if we would have kept in the business, if uh, if somebody would have wanted to come in and be uh, you know milk cows here, uh, that was kind of where I was thinking it would go uh, to robots, just because you don't have that variability in in people uh, doing right. the job. Yeah. Do you remember some of your best years on the farm, or do you want to? Do you have any that stick out that you can remember? Um. Yeah. I mean, there was years that we had really good, uh, uh, you know, rainfall crop production was uh, good. I, I can't really give you, uh, uh, you know, which years that was, I guess, but, uh, I can, I think like 87, um, was probably the first year we go out every year on the 4th of July and, and gauge the height of the corn based on, uh, you know, knee high by the 4th of July thing. I think in 87, we had, uh, corn that was over the top of my head on the 4th of July. Probably the first year I remember that being in super, super great crop year that year. Because that that drove whether how much you had to buy for feed and how the, uh, you know, kind of the economics of it. Yeah. Uh, uh, the cattle, uh, pretty much if you, if you had a good feed, regardless whether you, you grew it or bought it, you, you could keep making gains in production. Um, I'd say the, the issues with cattle was more, uh, super hot in the summertime was, was hard on cattle and probably only one year that I, that we felt like cold was a, an issue for the cattle. I think that was in the the mid nineties, probably 96. We probably had, uh, I think we had 55 below here. Um, and it lasted, you know, probably didn't get above zero for two weeks. And we had like 55 below was the, the coldest night. Uh, you started to see some issues with the cattle at that point. They, they just kind of were running out of energy. Couldn't get enough energy into them at that period of time. But, but otherwise, uh, the cattle, as long as you had good feed, you didn't, it didn't really seem to make a difference year in and year out as long as you, you manage that, uh, the ration. Okay. All right. Talk about raising kids on the farm. <laughs> what, how did that, I guess, change for you and mom when you had kids and you were kind of a workhorse getting this farm to where it was? Before? Yeah, I'd, I'd say that was the reason, one of the big reasons we came back to the farm is because we wanted to raise our, our kids on a farm to, to have that wide open space for them to run around and, and to be involved uh, you know, if you're in co-op management and you're working 12 hours a day, you don't spend a lot of time with your kids. You don't really know your kids. And so they're, uh, kind of at the mercy of whatever they're doing on the street or what they're, uh, you know, what sport they're in or whatever. And you don't really have that, that hands on with your kids. And so that was something we wanted to do. Um, yeah, it was tough. Those first few years, I was probably working from five in the morning till nine o'clock at night. So during the school year, when you were either at daycare or in school, you probably only 
saw me on the weekends when you were able to come out and be out with us. Otherwise, I was was uh, gone. But I think for the most part, you guys took advantage of coming out of the farm and being with me. And I did as much as I could to have you along as long as it was safe. And, um, you know, I think that was part of what all of our uh, – kids are involved in uh, well agriculture in some way shape or form and i think that was a big or went to school for agriculture and uh and are involved in agriculture and i think that was a big part of it because they had some you guys had had experience and enjoyed that part of life i think too yeah i wouldn't trade that for anything i mean i sometimes talk about our childhood or like even with josh and how they kind of did stuff they went on trips and whatnot and we never did really go more than like a one night somewhere but i never felt like i missed out because every day was a different adventure yeah that's with dairy you you really we weren't able to take long vacations i guess we long weekends was probably the best we did from maybe friday to you know friday afternoon to sunday night was probably the longest we did as a family until when you guys got older then mom and i could go for a little longer and leave you guys in charge so (laughs) (laughs) that's why you have kids i guess yeah (laughs) that's funny i have a lot of fond memories though i remember like the big projects that we did building the calf barn I remember when we had heifers at the other farm and riding with you to go feed them. And I remember the bull that attacked you, like all of that (laughs) stuff. Um, Yeah. Lots of fond memories growing up. So it was, it was, I guess, a childhood that I wouldn't change for anything. And I hope that we can give our kids a taste of it, not living on the actual farm, but having them involved as much as we can. Yeah. I think, I think it's, uh, you know, I think with, with dairy and I had a lot of uh, high school, uh, kids that work for me over the years. And I think what, what anybody, any young person working on a dairy farm, you learn that there's a certain amount of stuff that has to get done every day, regardless, you know, they got to be milked. They got, everything's got to be cleaned and vetted and, and fed properly. Uh, I mean, there's a minimum amount that absolutely has to get done regardless of what's going on. Uh, You know, with with the weather, with, with what's going on in the world, you have to get that Mm -hmm. done. And uh, I remember uh, one of the high school kids that worked for me, his quote in the, in his senior yearbook was, well, as long as the cows get milked. So (laughs) (laughs) he must've heard it from somebody. (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) Um, what was the greatest advancement in farming in for farming in your time? Um, I'd say equipment, you know, we went from, uh, loose hay and, uh, and doing the, you know, threshing machine to, uh, they'd come in with a 30 foot, uh, hay buyer cutting, you know, hay cutting equipment, uh, th- they cut 30 foot feet wide, uh, put the, swaths of 60 feet together come in with a 700 horsepower chopper and chop the farm in in four hours as opposed to uh you know bailing we bailed more than than loose hay. i kind of i just barely remember the loose end of it but bailing hay every day all summer long to, in order <laughs> to get it done uh so the quality and the you know the speed with which it got done was uh huge and and the same with corn you know from picking corn with the uh, ear corn picker uh, or a two row picker sheller to uh coming in with a 12 row or two 12 rows and and knocking it out in uh a day you know so it uh 
I'd say the equipment and milking equipment as well. You know, uh, the, just I, we talked about that a little bit earlier that, you know, the, the uh, technology with uh, the milking equipment. Okay. Okay. Let's talk about retirement. You've been retired for two and a half years. Uh, I wouldn't have a semi-retired, let's say. We don't, we don't, <laughs> farmers never retire, retire, you know. So we sold the cows in uh, June of uh, 21. Um, so that's just a shade over two years ago. Uh, sold the cows and all of the heifers that we're going to calve in 21 went that year. And then we had uh, the rest of the young stock that was uh, not bred yet. We, we continued to breed those and sell them as they were going to calve and, and get into the milking strings because we didn't want to milk anymore. So the last of the uh, heifers went the spring of 23 now. And, uh, so you've only not had them? Not had dairy on, dairy cattle on the farm. We haven't milked cows for a little over two years. We've not had dairy cattle on the farm for about six months now. Yeah. Um, and uh, bought a, a few beef heifers just to keep the pasture down and to give me some aggravation because, you know, <laughs> it, it builds character. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, um, so we're raising uh, corn and alfalfa. Our farm just doesn't lend itself to continuing continuous rotation of corn and, and soybeans. It just uh, you have to to have something on these hills that holds the soil in place for uh, um, you know several years, basically in the rotation. Uh, so that's we decided that uh, that we would do corn and, and hay, um, yeah. and it's worked out for us so far. So you're a crop farmer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ooh. So I pick on I pick on Josh, Mary Pat's husband, pretty heavily about being a crop farmer. And, and here's how it goes. It goes back to years ago. I was it was cold, about you know, sub zero, and a couple of my crop farmer buddies pulled into the yard about noon, kind of cracked the window on the pickup and said, Hey, you want to go out for lunch with us? We're going for lunch. And of course I was had everything I owned on my back to keep warm and I was <laughs> thawing waters and feeding cattle and making sure everything was clean and dry and, and good. And, and uh, I thought, yep, those crop farmers, they don't have to put pants on in the wintertime because, you know, they just wait for the kids to get home on the school bus and send them out to the mailbox, pick up the check or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where I started my rant to pick on crop farmers. But uh, yeah, it's uh, I, I do realize that they work really hard in season, but they have a little more flexibility. Oh, yeah. I uh, respect outside of season. I respect livestock farmers, and I've never discounted the everyday work that goes in <laughs> growing animals or raising animals. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But I'll, I'll never let Josh off the hook on that. So, that's well, just the way it goes. Because we have at least one more month of this, we have more animals than you, Dad. So, <laughs> we have seven cattle for now, and he has six. So, <laughs> I have to rub it in a little bit. Uh, big livestock farmers here. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure Jenna and some of those folks would would roll their eyes at that. So. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, okay, I'll. I have one more question, and then if you have anything else you'd like to leave our listeners with, feel free. But open mic, yikes! <laughs> um, That's scary. Yeah. What advice would you give to young farmers? Um, I think you know, be open minded. Uh, not everything that. Uh, you know, people come out and try and sell you is uh, going to be a boon. You know, it's not all going to work out perfectly. But you know, when you see what the technology has done and what what advancements we've made, what I've seen in my career, um, and I see what's 
possible down the pike and what the genetics will do in crop production or any kind of production, be open-minded to it, uh, do your due diligence on it. Uh, you know, maybe don't jump in a hundred percent because that can be kind of dangerous, but, uh, but be open-minded because you have basically, if you're raising a commodity, you have to be able to, you know, the, I think if you if you look at over over the long period of time, uh, a commodity if you're raising a commodity, the average price of the commodity is the average cost of production. So the only way you're going to be profitable over the long haul is to be above average in production and below average in cost of production. Um, so anything you can do to be more efficient is going to make you profit and don't be afraid to take a profit because you can't go broke taking a profit and profit is what feeds your family and puts them to school and uh, burns a mortgage. That's great advice. Seriously. I almost want to end there. <laughs> That's fine with me. Cause if you let me, if you let me go off on a tangent, I could really embarrass <laughs> you. badly. Well, I was going to just do a quick shout out for, um, I mean, you're retired, but you're also running a business now too, the cheesery. Yep. Yep. So you're going to be getting into shipping season here starting next week. Yep. And this episode will go live before you're shipping. So um, just, I guess I'll say thank you to everyone who's supported that business throughout the years as it's transitioned to you too. And, and Megan, and thank you for doing that and yeah. keeping it alive. It's a lot of fun. Um, I guess we have shipped once this fall. Um, so, and I've been involved to some degree with Mary Pat. Uh, the whole the, time. Yeah. <laughs> From day one. <laughs> yeah. Um, logistically, I think we're, you know, there again, we're, we're finding ways to be more efficient and uh, to, to make our labor uh, more efficient so that it's, uh, it's easier for us to get the job done. And, uh, and hopefully uh, we can do more if it's, if the, if the need is there or if the, uh, if people are looking for it, I'm hoping that we can do larger orders uh, yeah. when we do it. So you're going to keep going through winter. Yep. I will, we'll definitely do the, uh, uh, you know, we'll have two shipments yet in December. Uh, I'm guessing, I'm hoping that we can do one each month, January, February, and March. I'm not sure about April. We'll kind of see how that goes, uh, weather wise and what Megan wants to do. Um, but then we probably will take a hiatus until fall again, just because it's hard to ship during the summer and, and keep the quality for everybody. But we'll try and try and well, we'll get the, the Christmas holidays uh, taken care of, try and get a Super Bowl, uh, you know, sometimes before the Super Bowl, uh, certainly for Easter, um, you know, try to as long as there's demand, we're going to be uh, working and doing our best to fill it. Well, I have to tell you, me being out of the shipping side really kind of took a toll when I had to buy a block of cheese from Aldi the other day, <laughs> and it was painful. Um, <laughs> well, re remember your good friends at the cheesery, because they'll take care of you, you know. <laughs> I know. So Josh and I went and picked some up when we were here, and my dad gave me a bunch of crap for not supporting the cheesery. <laughs> <laughs> she went around us, I'll tell you. <laughs> We needed a lot. So, and I didn't think you guys had, well, whatever. I'm not going to make excuses. I just bypassed. Anyway. Um, yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to leave our listeners with? I know you're an avid listener as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I would say just if Jenna's listening, I'm with you on the, uh, peanut butter and jelly with your egg sandwich, mayo on an egg sa sandwich. Um, I'm just not, I'm not there yet. Not, re <laughs> not ready to make that leap. So I'm, I'm on your team there, Jenna. 
<laughs> that that goes back to like the first episode or two. I don't know if uh, the rest of you folks have been listening that long, but so so Tuesday mornings I'm up about four thirty and I check the the uh, my podcast website to make sure that the uh, Beyond the Crops is on. Once in a while, it's not. Mary Pat gets a terse text from me what's going on how come we don't have a new podcast <laughs> i appreciate that if anything's ever wrong i just look and see if my dad texted <laughs> so well thanks we'll have to have you back on another time maybe with jenna and we can sure pick, pick your brain on some more topics sure oh I, I was fun and i i really enjoy listening to you guys i feel like i know jenna and levi you know like uh, old friends listening guys uh, it seems like she pretty well lets us know what's going on in the world in her world, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been fun to do. So thanks for listening and thanks for being on and we'll have to talk again soon. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of beyond the crops. I hope you enjoyed hearing from my dad. It was really fun for me to interview him and I even learned some things that I had never known before. Remember to tune in when new episodes drop every Tuesday. Leave us a review or share the podcast to your stories for a chance to win this month's giveaway and find us outside of the podcast on our social channels linked in the show notes. See you next time.